Welcome to the Cauliflower Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Leicestershire-based poet, polymath, and just all-round really interesting person, Mr Tim Grayson. Unsure of that set, but there we go. Oh, that sounds a lot clearer. Hello, Tim. How are you? Hello. That sounds clearer on my end as well. Oh, we're we're there. We we've got to the bottom of it. It seems two grown men have finally worked out how to use, <laughs> use that. I mean, it's entirely my fault because I should really know these things, but I'm just not technically minded enough to really get a grasp of them, mate. So. But, man, thank you for joining us. Thank you for, again, taking time out of your day because uh, it's a real real pleasure to speak to you. As we said on one of our previous attempts to get connected, it has been far too long. Yeah. Um, it must be, well, must be all of eight, nine months at least, probably even longer. Yeah, probably. I think we saw each other very briefly at, um, at shoot when you came down probably just to visit the Tim Hortons I don't know but yeah <laughs> you, you know me very well Tim, you know? <laughs> um, but um but we just really said hello there I think um but yeah it's been a while it's been a long time well it's good to sit down and have a hopefully a longer chat with you than uh, than just a hello and goodbye <laughs> it's always, always a pleasure always a pleasure um, of course, I, I know who you are and I know, you know, a little bit about you and what you do, but the ladies and gentlemen listening in might not know too much about you. So as is normal uh, practice, would you like to just say hello and introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, so I'm Tim Grayson. Um, I I really struggle to say what it is that I do because I do a bunch of different <laughs> things. <laughs> you, you do do a lot of things. A, a, friend, of mine, yeah, uh, a friend of mine, Nathan Lunt, um, he wants... Um, he wants to describe me as a bloody polymath. So um, that's kind of, I think, probably going to be the... It was an affectionate thing, I think. <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah, so I guess that's kind of um, the closest thing. I just like I like doing a load of different stuff. I'm a poet. Um, I have been involved in politics before. I, uh, I make games. I'm the uh, the head of uh, of media and communications and industry alliances for Microsoft's global magazine as well. Um, I mean, that's you know, I, there's loads of different things that I I have a lot of different hats <laughs> that I wear. See, um, for most people, any one of those things would take up enough of their time, but you <laughs> seem to be able to manage all of those things and more. I mean, that's not even everything that you you know you put your hand to. So yeah. I don't know how you manage it. I really don't. I, I like. I like to keep busy. I've, I um I always feel, um, I feel guilty if I don't have um a, you know at least a couple of projects on. I always feel like it's I'm I'm wasting my time if I don't. Um, I've always always kind of felt like that since I was a kid. I think, right. It's just I don't know maybe how I was wired, but I I feel like if I sit down for too long, like you know I um I just get itchy feet, and I either need to travel or I need to make something or I need to do something. I just right. always been like that. <laughs> And of course, not forgetting, alongside all of this, you are a very competent grappler as well. You know, which sometimes is a, a, you know, enough sort of learning for people. But you, you seem to do even more. So <laughs> Thank you. Yet another string to your bow. Yeah, yeah. It's um, <clears throat> something that I picked it up. Well, picked up um, grappling. God, when did I pick that up? Um, 
2000. How, how long have you have you been training? Have you been training similar length of time as myself? Because were you about the same time when we started? Or possibly. Um, I mean, I sorry, I've got a frog in my throat. Give me a moment. That's, that's, that's all right. Um, <laughs> I, there we go. That's better. I felt like I was kind of talking through a like <laughs> through a really tight <laughs> hole then. Um, but I um... you're not rolling at, at the moment. Are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I started in late 2008, um, but I I tend to say um, I tend to say 2009 just because it's kind of I think it was so late in 2008. I don't really count that as a year. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so really, you know, f full year would be 2009 onwards. I had a bit of a, get, bit of a break for a few years when my son was born, a bit of a break for about three years. Um, uh, so I've had about, I'd say maybe, yeah, 10 years, I think 10 years experience in total, not, not including that, not including that break. Right. Um, yeah, about that. And, and, and of course, your, your your lovely wife Kaz is also heavily involved in grappling. She she's wearing her brown belt now, I believe, isn't she? She's... She is. Yeah. Um, well, she. The, it's an interesting story with Kaz because um, uh, we. So Kaz and I are like college sweethearts. We we met in college. Um, right. I was uh, I was eighteen and she was seventeen, um, and uh, and basically we. We've been together through loads of stuff, um, but um, but when we were when we came to Leicester, so Kaz came to university in Leicester, and um, we we had this this thing where she always wanted to be like a pro wrestler, right? So she loves like right. Bret, Bret Hart and uh, and that kind of like well the Hart Foundation as a whole, and she's just really into that that pro wrestling stuff. She always has been, right? And um, uh, and I you know, always wanted to write. I mean, I was writing, but I wanted to do something with it. And we kind of had this little, this little agreement um, back then where she kind of said, well, if you want to be a, you know, if you want to do something with your writing, why don't you just make some little prints of it and sell it at a, um, uh, and sell it at like at craft fairs and things like that. Right. Um, just basically do up some prints of what you've done so far and just, you know, and just go around and sell it at like some winter craft fairs. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. Um, and I kind of reverse the tables on her. I'm like, well, you always talk about wrestling, how you want to get involved in wrestling. So why don't you do like uh, some some proper wrestling? Um, and she was really into like kind of more technical wrestling. So she always liked okay. the kind of the more technical side of the pro wrestling. So I said, so why don't you do, you know, pick up some pro wrestling and then also pick up some, um, uh, you know, pick up some of the uh, the more kind of the, the actual technical side. So you actually know how to wrestle at the same time. Right. It just so happens that we we're in Leicester. So, uh, so she went to both a, uh, a, a place which had a, uh, I can't remember what it was called now, but it had a former WWE guy who used to do like the odd bits. I think he was just like a jobber really, but he did the odd bits. Okay. So she went to do, do kind of the pro wrestling stuff with that. And then she did the submission wrestling stuff with, with Nathan Leverton at Leicester shoot fighters. So, um, and I was tra I, I used to do little bits of martial arts here, there, and everywhere. And um, uh, but sh through her training, um, you know, she had on one hand these uh, these people at the pro wrestling side that would be very much um, of the opinion that oh, you can't do that to her. She's just a small woman. And right. then on the other side, at, at Nathan's place, you had people like Andre Winner, and you know the kind of. Uh, um, and, and I think maybe that was when Dan Hardy used to train there as well. And right. it was just, you had people like that and they were just, they didn't have any qualms about like 
properly like training with her not like just not necessarily battering her but but properly you know like yep. actually not treating her like some small girl yeah um yep. and she was like well these people actually take me seriously whereas these people treat you know treat me like i'm a you know a china doll so right. she um so she you know went full into uh into training there at shoot and uh and the rest is history really i mean you know she's uh you know been she's at shoot for a long time went to uh to combat base she's now affiliated under darren and helen curry um and uh and she she you know trains and grades under them both fantastic grapplers themselves and obviously she still trains with nathan as well so she kind of has a you know a few a few coaches obviously carl is another one he's a you know another sure. another coach in in our lives so yeah it's interesting very interesting i've never actually met darren or helen but i've like I said, I you know, kind of follow on facebook and different things combat base and stuff and it looks like a great place and you know maybe one day in one of my travels i'll get to pop up and, and see the guys up there but you know i'm sure that you know any any experience up there is only going to be positive to mix with others from shoot and like you say other guys it's it's great that you know, well, the, you yourself have that openness to kind of you know train as as often as you can rather than being kind of too stuck in your ways in that sense or yeah. I think. well one of the things that I, I really liked about um combat base um you know from from Kaz talking about it from the from when she kind of first started with them um was uh obviously we've you know we're, we're still shoot like we're still you know train at leicester shoot and you know and we love nathan and we, we you know and we really appreciate the training and everything there um but one one of the things that when kaz kind of went on to do you know more gi related stuff which clearly they don't do, they don't do that at, at leicester shoot fighters cool. um so uh, when she went on to do the more gi stuff and she got more involved in combat base there one of the things that really appealed to me and to her was the fact that it was no politics. Like that's one of the things that they always talk about. They always talk about the fact that, look, we just want to train. Like we don't care about the politics. We don't care about where it is you train, you know, and we don't care about your, your past. At the end of the day, like, we just want to train. <laughs> like, and yeah. I just, I love that because you get so many, so many gyms out there that are just really into, uh, you know, if you've got another gym's patch, you can't train, you have to wear their own higher gi yeah. and, all that stuff and i just think that's just absolute rubbish i think that you know yeah. enough politics in real world you don't have to bring it into the gym as well i was chatting with um a couple of the because i came off the back of a session sort of last night at the, the classes that i've been uh teaching and um, a couple of guys we were talking about a similar thing in terms of you know the kind of politics within bjj and mm. um, one of the guys made a point that you know that wouldn't happen anywhere else can you imagine if you went into a say a costa coffee shop and the barista said to you, oh, no, I'm, I'm not serving you. I saw you in Nero. <laughs> you know, exactly. That's, that's, not, that's not happening. It's like, well, how, you, you can't function in that way. <laughs> it's just yeah. not feasible. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't get it myself. And I completely agree with you. And the kind of no politics thing is far, far better for, for everybody. Unless, of course, you have an interest in politics as, a, as an actual thing, which, you know, you, you, you are interested in politics, which that's a very loose link, isn't it? Getting you onto politics. There too. <laughs> that, that, that was really poor interviewing skills for me there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I heard the word politics. I was going to run with it. <laughs> don't, don't forgive me. But, um, so with your, you, you, you mentioned that you, you are interested in politics. I understand that you, you have actually run for council, uh, position is that is that right is that green party elections you, you yeah or... yeah that's right so um back in i want to say 2015 2016 about five years ago five or six years ago i ran in the um uh, the mayoral um uh, right. race for um for leicester yeah for, for leicester mayor um so i was unsuccessful there which is obviously 
clearly <laughs> the case but um but at the same time it was interesting it was um it, i'll tell you what there's nothing harder than standing in front of a room full of people uh of all different um you know of all different political beliefs and saying with conviction what it is that you believe in i know sure. it sounds like such a it sounds like such a, a minor thing but knowing that you know there's like 200 people in this room and they're all judging you at the same time yep it's a yep. very very it's very hard so you know hats off to um to everybody that's involved in in politics at that level or, or higher just because it's um it's that that itself is a very um is a very tricky thing but at the same time it's nice to be able to you know it is nice to be able to um uh to say your you know your piece with conviction and just and, and just kind of let it hang that's an, another nice thing you know that is a nice thing about it the fact that you you know you are being judged but at the same time what you, what you say carries weight so you have to yes. consider everything that you're saying because it is a representation of who you are as a person and people will judge you for it so it's a, a good thing but also you know it's a it, it's hard but at the same time it's a very good thing because it, it really gets you to evaluate who you are as a person like what yep. what your actual beliefs are not just what you think you, your beliefs are but when you know when push comes to shove what what you're actually willing to put your name to you know because yeah like you said yeah you're putting your name to that action or that that statement or that thing you are really putting yourself out there with it aren't you yeah i mean i once um i mean there, there's lots of different like little anecdotes from that time but one of them which was kind of funny um was um i i once um I once pissed off an entire community of uh, of people who vape. As, that's vape with a V, by the way. <laughs> the vaping community with a V, um, because um, at the time um, there was a um, uh, there was really little um, uh, evidence uh, on really the you know the, what what's if vaping's you know how how good or bad vaping would be for you because back then it was right. a very very new thing and obviously people were still smoking cigarettes people still are now but but the point was this was this an alternative and people were saying oh it's the healthy alternative to cigarettes and all this kind of stuff and right. i um someone contacted me on twitter and uh, and and just said you know what what is it do you think about vaping and i said i mean my opinions have changed slightly now but but back then i said something like um uh, well, I'd need to wait until the research, you know, is is done. You know, there's not enough evidence for this for me to really come to a proper, a proper opinion about it. Right. Because as far as I can see, you know, nicotine is a poison, and essentially this is just um, changing the method of ingesting poison. It's just, you know, it's switching the method of of doing it via cigarettes to doing it via vaping pens. And I don't really know much different than that at the moment. But obviously, right. when the evidence comes out, we can see, you know, we can see then. Which, to be honest, sounds like a perfectly reasonable response to my to my mind. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you think so because I ended up pissing off like hundreds of people. Like, I I got I don't know how many. I mean, I don't know how many messages I got, but I just know for about a week. I ended up having all these. I didn't realize that vaping was a community. I mean, I don't know if it if it is now. I mean, it might still be. But these are people that literally define themselves by the fact that they vape. So it actually had on Twitter, you know, um, so and so, you know, vaping 
vaping life and just like you know i mean wow. it was kind of one of those things that you know like people sometimes say you know uh on their twitter thing they'll say that they're vegan for instance which which is of course like what? yes it's a diet but it's also a, a lifestyle choice it's you know it's, there's morality and stuff in there so i can understand people being proud of putting something like that that there but, but cool. just the fact that you're vaping yeah. like having having this this is in your biography like this is how you identify yourself you know like you could identify yourself by anything in the world and yet you choose to put down that you vape so i just thought that it was I just thought the whole thing was absurd, to be honest. But um, but anyway, I had lots of people that were very, very angry and took this very seriously and started, you know, trying to, you know, contact the uh, the Green Party and saying, oh, do you realise that you have one of your candidates that's, that's, you know, not towing the party line in terms of vaping and, right. you know, saying that it's a greener alternative and all this kind of stuff. And I just said, look, I've never said that that's not the case. I just wanted to wait until there was more evidence. And it nicotine is a poison. So to say that you're changing the method, yeah, it's, it's not... Oh. Never mind. Oh well, if you're if you're listening and you do vape, uh, get in touch. Um, <laughs> yeah, get in touch just to <laughs> just to have a massive go at me. You can yeah. you can reach out on well, Twitter or Instagram. You know, I've not had enough. Me. I mean, I don't, I don't mind. We don't have to direct them to you too. You know? <laughs> I've not had enough punishment. I need it again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, oh, so man. that was a that was an interesting week. I did end up getting a lot of followers from it though. So you know, it's well, you know, <laughs> you know, any attention is good attention, right? Yeah. In some ways, you know, yeah. So, uh, you know, we could always do with more followers to the podcast and things. So, yeah, come over. Drop a message. Let's do anything. You can find me at... Uh, this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go as far as to give my uh, to give my stuff, but obviously it's... Uh, no, yeah. it, they'll find it. You know, they'll, they'll find it. These people have a way of finding it. They'll find out my address. They'll find out my work. <laughs> you realise he repeated these comments again on vaping, contacting my boss, you know. Uh. It's all right. I, I haven't uploaded this yet. I'll... I'll... <laughs> <laughs> oh don't worry um i i'm happy i still i stand by what i said then like, <laughs> my my views have changed slightly now because obviously evidence and things have come in and been a lot more research uh not 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 so to the long-term effects but you know it's still enough now to be a little bit more confident on you know the health aspects but but back yeah. then it was just uh wild west when it came to it it just felt like vape shops were springing up all over the place and it felt a little bit you know when, whenever something doesn't have a um uh, it doesn't have any quality control or anything like that, which was the case back then. You know, you could be putting anything into it. Um, so, yeah. And uh, yeah. Like, like we said, you know, you didn't really give a, a positive statement either way, it sounds like there. You were just, you know, explaining your position. So you're yeah. not really allowed to do that. Yeah. But anyway, we, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll leave that for, you know, for, for Twitter and um, Instagram to decide how, uh, how, that, how that goes down. <laughs> how much to judge me by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you are also a poet in residence. What exactly does that mean, Tim? Because forgive my ignorance, I, I'm not. Uh, I was. I'm, I'm not in any way. I wouldn't even consider myself educated, let alone in any way scholarly or knowledgeable on anything. Um, perhaps uh, maybe a little bit of jujitsu knowledge, but aside from that, I'm an idiot in pretty much everything. So, <laughs> I think you do yourself a disservice there, but. but. <laughs> no, no, absolutely true. You, you ask my wife; she'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> I think I think my wife will say the same thing about me. To be <laughs> fair. Right. We, we, we're both have them on don't worry <laughs> but so how exactly did you did you come to be a poet in residence i'm in, i'm fascinated of, of how that works and, and what it is do, do you do you live in 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 a castle now is that is that the way it works uh, that would be that would be wonderful if i yeah if i resided there all the time i stay there <laughs> I, I do stay there from time to time um but the essentially it means that uh i write 
poetry um, to spec for the uh, for the Duchess of Rutland. Um, so, uh, and for not just for her, but for the estate, uh, for the family. Essentially, whenever they need something, uh, they need something done for a particular event, or it's kind of you know like how you have um, uh, the poet laureate who will write certain things for the country. Right. Um, it's a similar kind of thing, but with the uh, the Beaver Estate. So I've done a few pieces for that. Um, for them, uh, they there was recently a um, here's just a silly example. So I've done like kind of proper poetry for them, but a silly example just to give you a, you know a, a more recent one is um, uh, I was um, asked to rewrite. I say it's a silly example, but it's not silly, but it's uh, it's just a, a interesting like not the, a normal example right. is that I was I was asked to rewrite Shallow by Lady Gaga. Um, because okay. it was her, um, it was uh, the Duchess's youngest son's 18th party, uh, 18th birthday party, and uh, they wanted to sing. They're a family of, of they're they're very musical. They're a very musical family, um, and very talented in a number of ways. Big family, and they've all got their own their own talents and their own interests. Um, but that one thing that they they you know they can do quite well is is carry a tune. Um, so uh, so they all wanted to get up on stage and sing something but they wanted to sing it very specific you know wanted to say it, it right. they wanted to sing something which was for him but right. at the same time um maybe recognizable for those you know, it, listening ex in and... exactly so it was very it was a similar tune uh, that everyone knew but at the same time it was something which was which was special for him so uh so obviously i've made it um humorous in a number of places and just uh you know got got a few laughs from the audience which was great um but that's not the normal kind of thing that I do for them. But that's just a, an interesting one. And then that right. night, uh, you know, I stayed over. I stayed over there, and um, so it, that that's the kind of thing. So it's the odd the odd event, maybe a couple of pieces a year that I'm um, that I do that I actually write for them. Um, but I um, I also do um, uh, events with the with the castle as well. So I'll do um, you know if they have kind of festivals on if they have. Uh, like for instance, they've got the Regency Christmas celebrations coming up. So it's okay. an amazing that they've, they've decorated the whole car. Well, they're going to have decorated the whole castle uh, in the Regency style. I think it was. Um, uh, I want to say Charlotte Lloyd Webber. I think is her name. Um, who who did did the the designs for everything? I it, it made the whole place look. It's going. It, well, I've seen the designs where it. it looks like okay. it's going to be spectacular. Um, and. Um, I'm going to be there for a couple of weekends kind of you know people can then come and meet me and uh you know have private performance and that kind of stuff so it's it it's a load of different stuff that i do with them well, um how did uh, it come about that you became their their poet in residence did you i mean did presumably you know the, the family there would have seen some of your previous works and contacted you or was it something you had to apply for it was no it was um so i worked with the duchess on a community project um a while ago um basically based on rewarding people who had done pretty courageous acts in uh, in the local community okay. and um uh, so i worked with her on that and over the course of working with her on that um she uh, she found out that I was a poet and um, she wanted to hear some of my stuff and and she liked what she heard so she said well you know if you ever decide to write something for us that would be that would be wonderful so I just thought well I'm going to take that as a challenge and I'm going to do it because right. if, if you have a duchess say oh well if you ever decide to write something for us I that's, thought well basically it's, asking you to do so right? it is than... <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time it was a it was a casual look if you fancy this but it's no no pressure if you don't don't want to and I thought well sure. I'll, I'll do it 
so I did something and um, um, and she and she loved it and then from then that was when the appointment happened and then yeah since 2014 um, now it's uh, you know I, I do occasional things so sometimes I go and do talks at other places based on it but it's kind of like right. I feel like I'm in part representing the castle but at the same time I'm not I'm, I'm kind of you know obviously I do my own thing but at the same time it feels like that is a you know a base and the, the family have been really good to me so I, I right. like to I like to do as much as I can with them you know as uh, uh, because you know they're, they're really uh, well the Duchess herself is is absolutely lovely so um, you know when when you have a patron like that who's really supportive of your work and and genuinely um is genuinely interested in, in not just art but in really um growing the estate and really kind of you know right. putting in investing in things for now so that you know in 100 or 200 years from now you know people can look back and say oh wow look at all these things that were created during her tenure you know right. um it's just a really inspiring thing so it's uh, yeah it's great to be great to be involved and, you know, this this is going to probably sound like a very basic question for someone like yourself. But again, forgive forgive my sort of ignorance and sort of inability to even grasp how this how this comes together. Because I, I really am in awe of people like yourself who are very creative and able to come up with poetry or music or anything like that. But how do you go about bringing a poet a poem together? You know, do, what's the sort of thought process that you go through? Because if that would that would be the, the worst thing in the world for me to have to then someone <laughs> say, "Will you write me a poem?" Um, okay, and then ten years later, I'd just be a quivering wreck in the corner, still unable to you know come up with even a couple of words, let alone a line. Um, is there any sort of way that you go about doing that, or does it vary depending on the, the project and the, the yeah it, it does vary i mean i my process is a is is unorthodox every writer um has their own their own process for for writing things the main thing is just sitting down and actually having time to write you know that's obviously right. the, the main thing people can say oh it takes all of this different stuff but really sitting down and actually writing is the thing that you know th that makes the difference however when it comes to poetry poetry is really something that um i I sometimes really can't write things on demand. I, I mean, I, I'm, I struggle for that. There are, right. there are other poets out there who are fantastic and actually make a living from doing that kind of thing. But for me, I, I, I couldn't do that. I, um, you know, I maybe write, you know, a, a few poems a year at a, at a push. I, I'm not the kind of person who will sit there and just write poetry full right. stop, you know, just, you know, churn out books and books and books. It's just not the kind of, it's not it's not my my process poetry for me it has to come to you it kind of like is something which you almost need to be in the right mindset for it and then sure. when you know you've, you've done all the the research for whatever it is you want to do you've kind of got some ideas of what it is and then you know it's just every now and then like writing the odd line that doesn't work okay i'll leave it for another couple of days i'll let it you know i'll let it kind of uh let, let, it, sit, let it marinate almost exactly um and then some and then you know eventually there'll be a day when all of a sudden it will just flow and it just comes, um, right. you know, and I can just, you know, so, so one poem that will be, you know, maybe a page or, you know, a couple of pages long, um, you know, in A5, um, a, a poem like that uh, may have taken me, you know, it may have taken me two days to write, say, but really in reality, it's actually taken me like seven or eight months to write it because right. I've been, you know, I've been thinking and I've been rewriting and rewriting and whatever. And then suddenly something like some spark comes to me and then it's like, I can do this now. But I, I, and if I force it, 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 it always, it's never as good as if right. I, 
if I just do it naturally, you know, if I have, if I give it a bit of time, um, I think that's just the way with all creative stuff, isn't it? But at the same time, a deadline's always good because it's nice to have, oh, you know, it's, it almost like forces your muse, if you want to believe in muse, sure. a muse or whatever, it forces that to, uh, you know, forces you to actually to do something. Um, well, well, like I said, I, I'm, I'm still in awe of you being able to do that because, you know, deadline or not, I don't, I, I'd never be able to come up with anything, not anything <laughs> worth sort of writing or, or publishing anyway. Um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, a little bit about books there. We, you've actually got a, a Grace and Selected Works out. Is that still available? Can people still get hold of this? It is. Um, we're in the third printing now. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah. And that's uh, so that's that is still available. That's um, uh, yeah, it's it's the last uh, essentially it's a it's selected from the last 17 years, but it's between 2003 and 2020. Um, so it kind of covers three parts of I'd like to say of my life. It's basically right. it's um, it, it covers my early work. Um, so really from the from the moment that i realized that i want that i was taking myself seriously as a poet um that was when i was um when i was 17 really i was 16 17 i was um i studied the um the victorian poets in uh, for a level right and um there was a few poets there robert browning in particular who was really good at writing these these really dark uh, there was three three poems that he wrote that were really dark um one of them's called my last duchess uh, another one's porphyria's lover do you know that actually rings a bell for me i couldn't tell you anything about it but, but my <laughs> last duchess does ring a bell for me so. yeah they are famous poems that they say um uh, porphyria's lover was the one that really you know like kind of struck a chord with me and um oh. and the um the laboratory so these were these three dramatic monologues is what he called them it's essentially someone talking it's like poetry told from the perspective of this character who's right. talking to somebody else and through them talking you realize that actually maybe not everything is as it seems so in the case of my last duchess he's basically showing this person around his palace and showing this big portrait of this duchess on the wall right and um this um uh, it turns out that basically he's he's ordered to have her killed because he didn't like the fact that other men were looking at her so now he can he's right. the one that keeps her behind this curtain he can like you know unveil how beautiful she was for anyone that wants to see but it's right. up to him so it's really dark um and porphyria's lover equally dark and and you know same with the laboratory but the, all of those three were um there was just something about them and, and for like a 17 year old you know just who, who dabbles a bit with poetry coming across these three poems and realizing that poetry could be more than just talk, you know, like, like love poetry and, right. and all that kind of stuff. You can, you could actually tell, um, you know, you could give people a glimpse at something greater through, you know, so little words, uh, you know, like a much greater story, but which can be told in people's imagination. And that to me really like it, it inspired me so much that I, um, yeah, that I just thought, right, okay, everything I've done up until now is crap. I'm going to try and write something better. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, so that's essentially what I did. So, th so you in the, in the book, it's the my early work. So it is essentially from the moment where I was actually like, no, like you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do better than this. So you can you can see that for the first you know however many years, um, right. then it gets into. Uh, th that's really kind of you know a selection of that. So that's my favourite ones from that time. 
Um, and then um, the second section is uh, is decadent romanticism. So that's the stuff that I wrote around the era of doing things um, with the uh, with the UK poetry brothel and um, and the Brothelian movement as a whole. So that's the kind of the stuff that I did over there, which we can talk about in a bit if you want. And then, sure. Um, I mean, decadent romantic just sounds fantastic. It's just such a beautiful couple of words. It just <laughs> it sounds is. incredible. I mean, I... <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the, those, um, so the poems that were done there were kind of around that time. And then um, from 2014 um, to 2020 is the, uh, it's the kind of poet in residence stuff. So it's not just the things I've done for the castle, but it's, um, uh, you know, things that I've done since holding, you know, since holding the, the title. So, um, so yeah, so three, three different sections, but obviously I, I'd like to think that the poetry, you know, it, it, it develops over that time. So right. some people have, have said to me that that's one of the, the things they love about it. Cause you can kind of see how I've developed as an artist over the last 17 years. Right. Um, but then other people um, really love some of my early work. So, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, that's the thing about art, isn't it? You can, you have your favorites, <laughs> like with Bowie, for instance, when I, like, if I listen to Bowie, I'll have like certain things that I love by him. I'm like, oh, you know, but it would be like his early work and his later stuff. I'm like, eh, I'm not a massive sure. fan of that, but it's the same but kind of thing. people will find the total opposite. Like, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh, no, you're still, sorry, I thought I lost you for a second there. Too. No, I think, I think it just suddenly cut out a moment, oh. but yeah, it's all right, I'm back. <laughs> Um, you, you mentioned the uh, decadent, the work you did with the decadent and the Brazilian movement. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that just sounds like a, a, just an incredible experience. Um, <laughs> I, I saw a little bit on your on your webpage about about that. What what did that involve for you? So um, I use so okay. This this is a this, uh, this goes back to again. Lots of things tend to go back to Leicester Shoot Fighters. You'll tend to realise, um, <laughs> no, which yeah, is with two martial artists talking on a martial arts podcast, and we haven't yeah. mentioned much about martial arts at all. Yet, yeah, we'll I go know. Back to it and just say, yeah, but... we, we did at the beginning a bit, but it, it's, it's interesting because um, uh, obviously Nathan Leverton, great man, great friend. Uh, I've known him for well, you know, since starting shortly after Kaz started. Kaz was, you know, t- told me at the beginning, like, no, you know, you should really. Uh, uh, you should really try this it, you know it's, it goes along you know with your lines of, of of thinking about the martial arts and i think he's a good you know a, a good instructor and then started and, and loved it but literally shortly after starting um we went down to um so this was in i think late 2008 like i said it was right at the back end of 2008 right. when i started and he said look i know this is to me and kaz he said look i know you guys have only just started in the um in the martial arts uh not in the martial arts well in in grappling and submission grappling obviously i've trained for a lot longer than that with with other things but i don't really count those um and um uh and he's just said but this weekend um or next weekend whenever it was going to be marcelo garcia is coming to brighton and doing a uh, a seminar um you don't know who this man is but Right. I want to tell you now that if you don't come to this, you'll always regret it. And if you do come, you won't necessarily appreciate what's being told now, but you'll be glad later that you've right. had the opportunity to train with him. And I said, all right, so that was enough. I mean, I, I respect Nathan and I respect his opinion on, on, on like loads of different issues. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, martial arts being being a key one. So I was like, yep, absolutely. Um, I'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come. So Kaz and I both went down to Brighton to this Marcelo Garcia seminar and at the same time uh 
that weekend, he introduced us it one evening to a uh, uh, to Jimmy. Jimmy, as in Jimmy Kearney, the founder of Leicester Shoot, alongside right. Nathan, like back in the early days. So he introduced me to Jimmy, and uh, this was in some like cobblestone back alley bar like really really like the kind of place that i would never be able to find again <laughs> unless i had someone to showing me where it was um and um and nathan mentioned the fact that i was a poet and he said uh uh to J you know oh, jimmy did something to do with poetry what what was that right. and um and jimmy just so happened to host the world's first ever poetry brothel which is an event <laughs> which is essentially a um uh it, it brings uh visitors in and um you basically you decorate a place like a brothel but instead of having right. uh, instead of visitors paying for sex they pay for the intimacy of poetry that's okay. the kind of the, right. the spin on it so you, you still have a kind of an intimate encounter with somebody you get taken to a back room all of that kind of stuff but at the same time in that back room with that bed or whatever is there that you have you have someone read your poem you know, right. instead of <laughs> so that, it was obviously like a, a little like funny tongue-in-cheek kind of thing sure. um and i loved the idea and jimmy said that he had um you know, he he hosted this thing, and there was a a, um, a group in New York who uh, who was starting to do it as well. Um, and um, and I said, oh, it's perfect. It's the kind of thing that I'd absolutely love to. I'd love to get involved with. I'd love to do something like that. And he's like, oh, you should bring it to Leicester. And I just took that as a right. Whenever so you, you tend to realize, whenever someone says you should do this, I'm always like, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it happened with the poetry with the Duchess. It happens here. And I was like, actually. That's a good idea. I don't always say yes to things, by the way, but you know, when it's a when it's an idea that I think actually that that is that does sound really intriguing, I'll uh, I'll do it. So, so yeah. Fast forward um, a year, I think it was from that point, and uh, and then we heard we in October two thousand and nine, I want to say we um, hosted the uh, the first Leicester uh, poetry brothel, and. Um, yeah, we had we had you know poets there. Uh, we had someone. Uh, we had a pole dancer there. We had a um, right. uh, like a jazz um, saxophonist there. And then we did it like it, we we basically did them maybe two or three times a year from that point until about right. about 2015, 2016. Um, uh, yeah, and it was just you know we took over like Georgian manners. We uh, we really did like massive decadent parties. Really, you know, like just drinking wine out of brass goblets and it was right. just it was just uh in, it was an incredible time uh, and we didn't we realized as well that the the intimacy of that of um of performing um you know one-on-one -on -one to somebody it, it doesn't just have to be poetry so it started off with just being about poetry and about the poetry brothel and then it evolved into um what we called the carnival of artisans and essentially okay. it was um a load of different artists a load of different um uh basically loads of different people so we had illustrators there who were doing you know sketches to spec so someone would come in and say right. oh could you draw me this and they'll be like yeah absolutely you know and they'll just draw a little sketch for the person then give it to them and they'd go away and um there'd be body painters that would you know that were there there'd be musicians that would do the private things one-on-one -on -one. um and the whole thing is you know they would they would come and see me first i'd give them a menu and they'd choose whichever one of these people they'd want from the menu and right. then be led and then be led back to you know pay a bit of money for them you know and then they'd go back and have this private performance um so it was a um 
that it was really absolutely incredible. That really does. That sounds like <laughs> such a, such good fun thing to to experience and to to have put together. I mean, I, of course, I, I know Jimmy as as well, and um, I'm really not surprised that he's uh, <laughs> a bit involved in that. It sounds like a, a sort of idea that would come out of his head as well. But that that sounds absolutely amazing. Man. Yeah, well, the, the thing that we that we realised, um, and and that we really, you know, a belief that we really um, we hold is that, I mean, there is a real sex appeal to talent. Um, like you know, someone who's who's talented at something, there is the like an inherent sex appeal there. When, when you look back throughout the you know the centuries, you see these, uh, you know, you you'll see obviously yes, musicians, but then you'll also see. Um, you know, artists and writers and all these different people who uh, really kind of had this um, this following. Uh, you know, that of, of people that really admired their work, um, and and obviously now we really see that same sex appeal kind of that's in rock music. So it, if you right. look at rock musicians and things like that, they they kind of get it, and that they've always they've been doing that. You know, for however many you know decades now. Um, but but we've kind of held firm with the belief that um the, the the pen or the sketchbook it, it holds as much sexual potency as the electric guitar so you know the the writer or the illustrator you know could be as much of a sex symbol as the rock star <clears throat> we think the only reason why this this isn't the case at the moment is because there's like this this strange kind of earnestness and sycophancy really that spread throughout uh, the arts um you know people just basically trying to um justify what it is that they've uh, they've created to uh you know in order to get money to create it instead of just making it um for the sake of making it perhaps. exactly yeah so um you know you tend to find now with with the arts council uh, you know well this was about 10 years ago i think things have changed slightly now but um but with the arts council then especially it was it was the case where you would need to be able to make your piece sound amazing so you would have to be great at writing about the thing that you want to create but right. the actual thing that you create didn't really matter so much and it was right. just a, it was a really perverted orthodoxy when you kind of have this weird you know the actual explanation of the work to them is more important than what's produced and that is obviously entirely wrong it should be the other way around the thing yeah. itself should be you know the the thing that that stands out so we you know with the Brathelia movement we were trying to kind of rectify that and, and make things a little bit more uh you know a little bit more about the work of art itself like pre presenting it in a in an intriguing way so people you know want to want to engage um and uh, and and once they do engage they actually love what it is that's there instead of just kind of showing something to someone and then saying oh by the way this means all of this and they're like okay great well it left me cold so i don't really care yeah. about yeah. that you know they've actually got some attachment to what's happened and what's been created then i guess and just make yeah it we um we we actually outlined it so we uh, we did a manifesto um it's called the uh, the Brathelian manifesto um so we it was a it was about 24 25 pages long like a a little arts manifesto that we wrote back in 2011 um and um uh yeah so that we, we released that back then because there's loads of people all over the world that were doing these shows like really similar shows to us so we kind of wanted to put together a document that showed that there was loads of people who had the same kind of you know this the same beliefs and the same you right. know the same interests in in uh in doing this kind of stuff um so yeah i did an audiobook for it as well that's on youtube um but, yeah. <laughs> yet, yet something else that you you have done <laughs> ever ever growing list of achievements that you you got there is it something that you would ever put together again i know of course these things will take time 
but you know is it something you think you'd write similar possibly possibly if the time's right and i mean i did love doing it it was just um it was a lot of time and energy that went into them um and um i did i did love doing them uh, and and I, I I would I, I it's, it's one of these things with life like never say never. Um, my my whole my my main thing that I really want to do with it is um, is a lot it's a lot bigger and a lot grander um, for the next one that I want to do. Okay. Um, but uh, I don't want to really you know reveal too much yet. But no, so no I, by I, all means you you your cards close to your chest on that. Sir. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do want to do it. Yeah, so I will be doing something else with it hopefully. But. Um, um yeah it's just a lot of time and, and attention and at the moment i have a number of different things on so i just need to wait until the time's right for that i think well ladies and gentlemen if you do want to have further updates on uh, mr grayson's project uh, projects with that then uh, of course you'll have to find him on twitter follow him and instagramings and all of that stuff and uh, yeah just have to be uh, be aware of what he's doing through that stuff because uh, there's there's lots more to come i'm i'm, I'm sure with them um, with that, that that just sounds fantastic and um you know anything you set up I'll, i will be there man because that just sounds <laughs> such a good experience awesome well like you're always welcome mate you're always welcome so just uh just 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 hit me up before you come and then i can make sure you've got a, a complimentary reading or a complimentary performance <laughs> of something oh, you're, you're too kind <laughs> How, how are things coming along with uh, your 21st century grappler? Am I allowed to, to mention that? Are we... Yeah, so it's the, the thing of it's under the, so the um, uh, I would say the the summary of it is under the publisher in, the publisher's embargo at the moment. But um, I can say, you know, we've got a number of really, really great um, grapplers involved in that. We've got Dan Gable, who's uh, who's doing, a, you know, who's done an upfront piece, and okay. we've got a, a number of really great, um, I mean, very, very um, high profile and uh, and inspiring people in that. Um, so, you know, I mean, I can say a few of them. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to actually, I don't want to name drop. We've we've got a lot. We've got um, obviously Dan, Dan Gable's doing the. Um, uh you know, it has got an upfront piece and uh, we've got robert drysdale in there um we've got um uh oh my goodness you know when you, there's just so many people that your your brain just goes blank sure. a lot of a lot of people there's about 80 80 um really wow. influential um wow. grapplers uh, gary tonan um he provided some excellent commentary um there's loads of there's loads in there and um that the whole thing with that is i wanted to i wanted it to be a gift to um, to the martial arts world because it's something which has changed my life in such a positive way. You know, gra Brazilian jiu-jitsu, grappling, submission, grappling, submission wrestling, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's, you know, the art of grappling has, has really, you know, done so much to me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really had a positive impact on, on just how I carry myself, on my confidence, on a number right. of different things. Um, so I really wanted to do something with that which um uh, you know create a book that had all these all these amazing um uh these amazing martial artists in it who i really respect some of whom i'm work i've worked with before and you know and uh, you know and, and i've trained with before and others that i haven't done um really as a way of being able to give something back you know to the art that i've i seem to have you know drawn so much from um so it's it was meant to be um out well, it was meant to be out back end of, of 2020, but obviously then COVID happened and just yeah. this, the stresses that the publisher has been going through. I, I just, you know, you know, 
work schedules and all that kind of stuff i i purposely like kind of just kept it very very like okay cool we're just gonna have to wait with this um sure. until it comes out um so i'm guessing it's probably going to be next year now um but um but it's definitely there it's it's on the back burner but um, um and, and uh, it's done so the first draft is is right. written uh and 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 it's really in second draft now um so um yeah it's it's pretty much on its way there i think the next stage is just getting it um getting it designed um and then yeah um getting it uh, as in like not just the, the full thing designed but the um the odd um I think they want to like, do like a kind of a sample bit just so you can kind of have a flavor of what's going to be coming, you know, in okay. the book. So maybe just the, uh, the forward, the introduction, you know, maybe a few, a few different uh, pieces. I don't want to talk too much about what it is because it's no, under embargo, but, but um, you know, a few pieces that are within it. Um, and, um, and yeah, but th th what I want to do, uh, what I want to say now is that this isn't just a kind of a, a, a it, it's something which is going to help people's grappling it's um that's uh, that's essentially what it's designed for it's designed to really assist it's not just a, you know a, a load of, of words um uh, you know uh, about techniques or whatever it's uh, right. it, it's things it's something which will uh which will help in a number of different ways um so yeah as soon as i'm able to talk more about it i'll I'd be delighted to Oh man, by all means, we, you know, we'd love to have you on in, in later episodes to discuss all, all sorts of other things and, and stuff, not just the, the, the book, but of, you know, of course, the, the way you've described it there, it's something that I think is going to be essential for, for any grappler and anyone serious about their, their training, because a, a resource like that, with even just a couple of names that you've mentioned, is a going to be really invaluable uh, you know and I, I can't think of a, a better person to have put, brought the project together because you know knowing you personally as I do I know the amount of work you'll have put into that and I know it's going to be a fantastic resource so um, yeah you'll just have to uh, wait for, for more news on that ladies and gentlemen and, uh, <laughs> go out and, and buy a, a copy or maybe two copies each when it, when it, when it <laughs> yeah, maybe sorry. three have a gift <laughs> sorry for uh, I, I realise there's a couple of things now that I've said oh yes yeah, so I I really want to talk more about that, but I but I can't. <laughs> so, <laughs> Keep the audience in suspense. That's what we like to do. You see, good. <laughs> I, I also like. I quite. I feel like with most things, uh, I I'm an open book. I mean, I'm happy to talk about anything. Um, you know, within reason. Um, so to have things that I really can't talk about like something that's actually under embargo it's a bit of a it's hard for me but i you know i have to obviously honor it so it's one of those ones that i really i want to tell everybody but, but i can't well even uh, just just to, you know giving giving you credit for the actual fact of you doing that project and putting that together for such a, a a fantastic reason as to say you want to give something back to the grappling community for a for a you know a, a kind of martial art a, a, a sport however you want to Want to want to call it as something that's just done so much benefit for you in your life. I can really, you know, I I can, I can really dig that. I can really I can really appreciate that because you know, much the same for myself. I would not be the person I am today. I would not be in the position I am today. I, I it sounds really morbid to say I might not even be alive today if it wasn't for martial arts and the kind of benefits that it's you know brought for me. Not just in the the physical training, but just the the mental aspect on things and just. You're really helping me just become a, a, a better person. Um, 
you know, it's kind of I've mentioned similar things on this podcast in in previous episodes and stuff. But you know, there was a time back at the early days of university and training with Nathan where I couldn't even look someone in the eye. You know, I could I couldn't I couldn't even consider the possibility of standing up in front of a a room of people and and teaching martial arts. I I couldn't even go in a shop and you know <laughs> function properly. So you know, to just have all these other life skills, you know coming in and, and stuff is, is absolutely fantastic and someone like yourself who's, who's actually made inroads to really try and give something back to other people to to help them benefit from that is, is just fantastic and and uh, yeah commending to you man because that's 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 brilliant um yeah go out and buy the book basically when it comes out just just get out there and buy it two or three <laughs> copies minimum <laughs> something else that people might like to purchase if they're, if they're still able to if they're still um uh, I was going to say copies then, that's not the right way of putting it, but uh, forgive me for, if I say this wrong, Tim, Tatakai? That's right, that's, yeah. Yeah, nice one, my little <laughs> bit, of, my bit of research into that has, has paid off. Um, <laughs> how, how did Tatakai come about? Because you, 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 you're a games designer. You know, we, we mentioned this briefly at the start as well, but this is yet another string to your fantastic set of bones that you've got. Uh, <laughs> how, did that, how did that come to be? So um, it was lockdown, really. Uh, I mean, I've always <laughs> so in, in, in lockdown, you managed to to design a a, a, you know, a a fantastic game that's been really, really popular, and people have bought loads. I managed to get fat. I mean, <laughs> I mean it just shows the difference in how we've taken lockdown. <laughs> oh no, I think I got fat as well. I think I got fat as well over the uh, <laughs> over the winter. So, so you did something else as well as Tatakai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big achievement. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I um, I mean, since uh, really, as as if I if I'm completely honest with myself, as as long as I can remember, um, so I've always uh, written, I've always drawn, I've always liked creating stuff. Um, as I mentioned, it's just something which I've always liked doing. Um, and actually, for um, for as long as I can remember, I always liked creating. Uh, I did always like creating board games. Um, right. I'm, I'm thinking back to when I was like, you know, like seven, eight, nine. I mean, I can I can remember myself making God knows how many of these board games. And obviously they all they were all rubbish, but like, well, <laughs> you know, they would be. You know, I was a kid, but at the same time, I just I just used to love doing. Just I used to love making them. Um, and obviously back then it was very much um, very you know based on other things that were around and all that kind of stuff. But they were just little things to you know for me to play with my dad or my mum or right. you know um and um i uh, um recently i would say maybe a few years back i created a card game um which is called submission hunter okay. and it was a, it was a card game which was actually based on grappling and the point for it uh, the point of it was to basically when you you know when you've got a time when you're not training um you can um you can play this card game. It's essentially meant to emulate, you know, a, a role. So okay. you, you keep going to submission. It's like a submission-only role, um, and you and the, the the cards are basically like your your options that you can go for, you know. And, and obviously, you're trying to progress up or down this uh, positional hierarchy. And then, um, you know, the the more the better position you get, the obviously the more opportunities to to submit someone you can get. But right. also, if you're you know on the bottom, there are still like the odd one that you might be able to catch that, you know, the, right. as, as it is in right. real life. So I wanted to try and create a car game that was really, you know, that, that tried to emulate it as, as best as possible, but it ended up being like 
I had to use like 90 odd cards, which is fine. <laughs> it's, it's a great game and it really works, but the, but the price to get 90 odd cards was, was ridiculous. So I, I wanted to produce this game and actually have it out. And this, like I said, I did this years ago, but, but just the cost was just too prohibitive because, you know, I, it just wasn't going to happen. So, sure. so that was kind of the, a, a recent, foray into into it um so it almost made me think like okay well i can i can create games like my wife likes playing it with her friend like they they genuinely play it like when i'm not there like it's something which they all right. do um and um uh, so i knew that people liked a few other people have played it as well and they'd liked it um people from the gym mainly so um you know i kind of done like little copies for them like handmade stuff but because i'd kind of done this you know, they, this one thing, I, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll do a, maybe I'll do another one at some point. And then obviously lockdown happened. So um, I was like, right, okay, well, I've got time now to try and keep, you know, we try to keep the family busy in so many different ways. Right. We already have loads of board games. We've got computer games. We've got, you know, stuff to do outside and all these different things. But sure enough, like soon we ran out of things to do. So I thought, okay, I'm going to create something. So I created one which was like a Grinch game, like a, for like Christmas time. Right. I created another one which was, um, uh, which I actually ended up producing a small amount for called Grimoire, which right. was a um, uh, very much kind of more of a magic focus one where you're casting spells at each other. Uh, I only only produced a very small amount of those, like ten of them, I think, um, and um, and those sold out in in two days, which was quite cool. But the, again, it was the the cost that went into producing it and the time was just. It, you know i have a job at the end of the day and it's one of those right. things that it's not you know not um realistic um sure. but when um when i thought of maybe doing something um you know i i've always been inspired by japanese culture so i thought well i want to do something that's there is something there i could tell there was a game there um but at the same time the kind of games that i like that i personally like playing are games of luck and strategy so i love like risk for instance right because i love how i can play that with my um you know with with my son um and if he gets lucky with the dice roll like he can do really well against me and you right. can have the best strategy in the world which you know i love risk so i do have a good strategy but at the same time <laughs> like you know if you get unlucky with a dice roll it doesn't matter like your strategy yeah. basically goes to yeah. nothing and I, I love that because that's so much more realistic. That's, you know, that is really kind of what happens. Some things right. really are, right. you know, in real life, a dice roll. Um, so, uh, so with Tatakai, I wanted to create something which was um, essentially, you know, a very simple game, which you can learn in like 30 seconds to a minute, like something which you can literally pick up and go, okay, how do you play this? Someone tells you a minute later, right, okay, I know how to play now, let's do it. Um, but at the same time had that same you know it was was fast paced so something which you can play very quickly if you want to right you know risk obviously takes ages to set up um but um so yeah so i wanted something that was quick to set up quick to play uh quick to learn but at the same time still had that kind of like you know that that luck and strategy element which i really like from games so basically right. it brings in all the elements of board games that i love personally and um and yeah, and I guess because it was because it's the kind of game that I love to play. It's the kind of game that I really, you know, invested lots of myself into it, um, right. because I really wanted. You know, the other games were again like card games and stuff are great, but I don't play card games too much. I I like I do play them. Um, so those though the other games that I did were um, you know the the other ones were were obviously fine, but. 
there was something special about this one. And even Kaz even said to me like, after playing it a few times that she was like, "Look, I really enjoy this, Tim. You should you should get this trademark. Right. Like you should you should make a go of this one. This is actually um, you know, whereas the others that were 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 good and you know fine. Obviously, there's lots of games like those out at the moment. This mm-hmm. is something which is so distinctive and so unique, and yet the fact that it's so quick to learn as well. It's something which she believed was gonna you know was gonna do well. So. So yeah, um, and then here we are. <laughs> right. So what, yeah. what does Tatakai actually mean? Is there? I know sometimes that's difficult to define, but is it? You know, is there a set sort of translation for it? Yeah, or? yeah. It means it means battle in in Japanese. Okay, right. Because it's um it's played over a series of battles. So um so one round is is a battle really, um and you play it at either best of three or best of five, and then you know the the person who wins the you know the the most battles wins the war so to right. speak um so yeah it's um yeah it's um themed themed like, obviously japanese because we've got kanji on the board um and uh the the, the theme of it is that or well, the, the story behind it is that you're a general um you know in some in feudal japan say right. uh, and you're playing against another you know another shogun um and what you're trying to do is you're trying to send out your uh, your agents to infiltrate the opponent's camp while they're trying to do the same thing to you right um and the winner is the person who um who manages to sneak a piece into the other person's camp when there are no um defending guards there so you're kind of like okay. so, so the people that you're sending out the pieces you're sending out are also your your bodyguards so you're kind of sending out your troops and at the same time you're trying to keep as many troops back as you can and trying to like right. bring them back if you can right. as well to to protect yourself okay um, so uh yeah it's a uh but it's like very very you know like it doesn't have to be in kanji i mean it can be in you know we could do it in numbers it's just but this thing is it's stylized for the fact that i really love um that period of uh, sure. japanese history so i wanted there to be kind of that uh you know that a little uh a little uh flair to it if people do want to get hold of a you know a, a game of this how would they do so is there a website that can be ordered from or is there a yeah, um, so they can either go through to um, to Etsy um, and and just look up Tatakai on there. So Etsy is E T S Y. It's the um, basically for you know handmade stuff. Really, lots of it. Right. Um, my so my wife is prolific on Etsy in terms of buying <laughs> things. So yeah, I'm fully uh, fully clued up on that. <laughs> the ladies and gentlemen are as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and the, people can just look up Tatakai uh, on there. So it's T A T A K A I. Um, or they can come through to my website, which is worksofgrayson.com. Um, and then there's a link through to it on the shop on there. So there's a bunch of stuff for sale on there. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's one of them. Awesome. So yeah, do go and check that out, ladies and gentlemen, because it will be really worthwhile. Um, in terms of you know your, your kind of outreach, if you like, I, you know, I hope that there's a I'm going to say a copy. It's not a copy. Edition, shall we say, of Tatakai, if that's the right way of putting it, or a version of Tatakai, whatever, on on someone's uh, someone famous's desk somewhere. I do hope that that's the case because I understand that there's a quite famous work of your uh, quite famous person that has a work of yours on their office wall. Um, Someone well known in uh, UK politics. is is that something that you want to talk about? Shall we? Uh... Yeah, it was. So that was that was bizarre. So I um <laughs> like that that was strange. So yeah, I got a letter from Jeremy Corbyn saying that he uh, he really loved. Uh, so I, I sent I, I sent him something um, because I, I wrote this this piece um, 
uh, however long, you know, uh, maybe a few years back. Right. Um, and it was around the same time that um, there was a number of things happening that year. He was, you know, that there was there was loads of stuff going on in the world. I think that was the same year that uh, that Trump got elected in. There was, right. you know, there was um, there was loads of there was loads of kind of stuff that was happening around then. Um, and uh, and Jeremy Corbyn kind of felt like a, a breath of fresh air, you know, amidst all this other stuff that was going on. It seemed like right. he was one of the few people, to me at least, who were kind of was talking sense. Um, so I, I sent him a letter saying, you know, that something along those kind of lines, and um, um, and and included that that poem um, with with it. And yeah, he came back like about a year later, basically saying like, you know, um, uh, that he uh, that he really you know really enjoyed the poem and that he's he's going to frame it and, and put it up so That's very funny. very crazy like uh what, what, what a story um i yeah. imagine that after a kind of period of time like you said a kind of a year gap you'd probably forgotten that you'd sent that letter i right? did and then, completely you know, yeah. and then i suddenly got this letter through the post from the house of commons i was like who what what have i done <laughs> like, you know, i was like i thought this is like a uh you know some uh i don't know i had no genuinely i had no clue what it could be until i opened it and he even started it with something like okay don't laugh but i am replying to the letter that you sent a year ago right <laughs> you just the thing is he's obviously so busy and he gets so many people sending him letters and stuff um sure. he, uh, you know obviously gets gets inundated and he's got his own you know his own constituents and everybody down there that he you know so i i had i didn't think it was one of those things that i didn't i didn't i didn't ask him any questions i didn't right. I, I really didn't say I don't think I put anything in there, you know, that he would need to respond to. It was just a gift. I just sent right. him the poetry as a, you know, look, hopefully this will basically like cheer you up for the kind of times uh, that the poem was called the tyranny of the majority. Okay. And essentially it's about the fact that just be the last two lines in it, are, uh, just because there are more of them uh, doesn't mean they're right. Um, and right. it's just that whole thing of, you know, basically what happens with, with referendums and all this kind of stuff as to when people, you know, collectively vote for something, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because the majority of people want something that that is actually, you know, a good thing necessarily. Right. Um, so that's really what the what the poem's about. Um, so it obviously touched something within him and he, li he liked it enough to, to respond to me. So I was, I was, yeah, delighted because I actually wrote something uh, for the, uh, the New Statesman, um, uh, I don't know how many years ago now, but it was right. basically just before. It was when he was in the leadership race. It wasn't. I don't even think he was the leader then. And I was basically, I was one of the few people who was right, who wrote a positive Jeremy Corbyn piece in the um, uh, in the New Statesman because everyone back then was saying, "Oh, he's never going to do it. He's never going to." And I was like, right. "No, I think that you know, I think he will." And uh, I also said that I think it would be a great result, like eventually. But um, obviously, like you know, he's no longer there. And um, right. Covid happened, so right. <laughs> you know, yeah, interesting. But... Oh man, what a, like I said, what a fantastic sort of thing to 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 have occurred. Um, like I say, yeah, just out of the you know, out of the blue to get to get that response. Really, is just well, yeah. It was incredible. It's incredible. I like. I really, I really um, admire the man. I don't know. My politics and his don't a hundred percent align. You know, there's a number of areas which, which you know, he believes that I, I, I don't. But I just love. I, I love somebody with conviction. I think that the majority of what he's saying, you know, I can, I, I do, you know, I, I can agree with. Um, 
But even the, the areas that I don't particularly agree with, I mean, uh, the, what, what I like about anybody is if someone has the conviction to say their views, like I said earlier, you know, if someone has the conviction to to stand by their by their opinions and really, you know, mm -hmm. has has thought about them to such an extent that he has where you know, there are educated opinions that, you know, mm -hmm. he's clearly thought about these for a long time uh, and he, he really does, you know, um, stand up for for those. I just think there's just there's something to be commended for that. Even if you don't like his politics, um, you know, just the fact that you, we have someone there in, in Westminster who clearly who clearly cares enough um, to, uh, um, you know, to, to stand by his opinion. He's not just someone who's going to toe the party line. He's not just someone who's going mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, say, um, uh, you know, robotically say things, repeat buzz phrases or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, they 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 tell people to say certain buzz, buzz things and stuff, and that does happen. But on the majority, you know, I think that he's been, um, you know, he, he was uh, a decent guy. And um, it's a shame. I think he was the, the best prime minister that we never had. <laughs> but there we go. <laughs> that is going to be the line for this podcast. That's going to be the title. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, no, it's going to look like Tim Grayson, the best prime minister we've ever had. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I tend to pick something out from the conversation with the, you know, when, I, when I have people on with me and stuff. And I, d I just think that sounds lovely. Uh, listen to me trying to get a poetry head on. Sounds lovely. <laughs> um, I, don't, don't worry, I, I will pick something out, of course. So perhaps not that. <laughs> you'll just have to see when it goes up to you just <laughs> uh man I, I'm, I'm conscious of time for you because i don't want to take too much of your your, your day um i you know i know you've got lots of other things to be running some of which of course we should be spoken a little bit about some of your other projects today but i feel like we should at least finish up with a little bit of martial arts yes. just because uh, you know the the kind of common base that we share in terms of you know being from Leicester Shoe and just grappling in general and that sort of stuff I feel like we we should at least you know have a little bit of grappling discussion so we perhaps put that in there <laughs> in, cool. at the end just as you know just as a, a final a final thought um I, I suppose you know there's lots of different things we could talk about within grappling sure but the the common thing that I ask people when they come on is what's your favorite submission and why <laughs> awesome. Well, very that's... cheesy. Very, you know. No, I'm. I guess, but I, I find quite. I find them quite interesting sometimes. So arm locks. Um, I don't. I don't. Um, really have a particular arm lock that I like more. Just arm bars in general. Just just, just you an arm, arm. And you'll break it. <laughs> that's my my favourite thing. I mean, arm bars. Um. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking of, yeah, I, I mean, the only thing that I don't tend to <laughs> this, go for. This is the one thing I did preempt you about, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. Well, I, I would say arm locks. The, th the only thing on the arm that I don't tend to go for, and there's a reason why, um, is wrist locks. Um, just because, I mean, myself, I've got, my, my wrists aren't great. Um, I've got, like, slightly dodgy wrists. So I don't like doing, you know, doing to other people what I wouldn't want to have done to myself. Right. So okay. it's always. I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind people going for wrist locks. For me, people can go for wrist locks all they want. But it's just um, I have this weird 
like um i don't know a code almost <laughs> where i kind of think well i don't i wouldn't like to inflict something which i i wouldn't you know i, I don't like you know that i i that, that may injure me um, right. and my wrists have always been a little bit dodgy ever since um i used to do striking years ago um and um i just basically ended up exacerbating an, an injury repeatedly and now they're just they're just never the same um right. so um but i i love any other arm lock um yeah i bent straight you name it that's my <laughs> just i think you'll, you'll yeah it. <laughs> well i think it's because uh, the reason why i love them so much is because we are people who you know we talk with our hands we do things with our hands right. our hands are our main thing you know our arms are our main thing that we do things with so if you're going to grab someone or if you're going to reach for something or whatever it's always going to be the arms that's like the, one of the first places you know it's clearly not where the power comes from it's from the hips but and, and the legs but at the same time like it tends to be the arms are the things that do the the thing first like wherever someone sure. wants to move it tends to be the arms that are the you know uh, they tend to you know to, to grab something or whatever so i like the fact that you can change someone's first instinct which is to grab or to push or whatever and i like how you can you know you can manipulate that um and you can turn it into an advantage for you that's always been my favorite thing i know that chokes you know or strangles or whatever they're, they're things that people say that that's the the king Right. Of submissions because you know you can put someone to sleep and it doesn't matter about the size of them all that kind of stuff but i think if you you know with with arm locks if you do them effectively it, again it doesn't matter about the size of the person even if they've got massive arms um a bent arm lock you know is is fine i mean obviously straight arm locks they could probably bicep curl you but but when it comes to um you know to uh, to, to bent arm locks there's something which can you know the the shoulder is something which is very very weak um so um so yeah, I think that um, I, I don't know why I gravitate towards it, but um, I know it's just because I just like ragging on arms. Basically, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to find, like I say, what what everyone sort of has as their their, their preferences, really, because like you, you know, there can be so many variances in people's you know approaches and things. People can have exactly the same body type, body size, but have a totally different you know kind of emphasis in terms of where they take the game and stuff. And I find it really interesting and. To a certain extent, I guess it's the kind of places that you've trained at, or the sort of journey you've been on, and stuff. But it, you know, it's just really interesting to me to to, to find out. I find it really um, fascinating how people, once they uh, they'll have a particular submission, like for for me, right? Like, it's always been arm locks. Like as soon as I, I, I think the reason why it's always been as well is because at the very beginning, I really, really sucked at them. Like I, I couldn't do a, I was just trying to do a standard arm bar. And I remember like just really struggling with the whole getting getting your leg over from this from mount. It was just a right. very, very, one of the more, more old school ones, not one that I would do now, but it was a very old school one. And I remember struggling with it so much. And it's actually not one that I do now, uh, that this particular one um because it but but obviously back then you think that oh you know there's something uh if you're not doing and what's, what's the best way of putting it um basically you don't realize that there are different submissions for different body types and right. some while something might work for you it may not work for somebody else but however i kept trying this one again and again and again and eventually i got it and i was like right i, I can do this now and because it was this one thing that i just drilled again and then i realized oh okay so this is what drilling does it basically means that you can just you know you can get really good at something that you suck um you know and and have that advantage over everyone else that doesn't drill as much right um but um 
but without i think it was just the fact that i sucked so much at it <laughs> you know i sucked so bad at it that i didn't want to suck at it anymore so i just kind of massively overcompensated and ended up falling in love with the submission instead you know um but um yeah i've uh but like i said like it's it's not just not just the arm bar i mean any type of arm lock is uh is gonna is always gonna be my my preferred mainly from side control side controls are nice my favorite right. my favorite um control position because you've got so many options from there um and you've got two arms that you can play with and uh you know you can always bail from side control i find whereas mount it's a bit more dangerous if you uh if you you know if you start getting um uh off balance or whatever from mount it can it can turn a little bit especially against a, a skilled person if you've managed to get mount on a highly skilled person the chances are that they're going to be able to get out of that and you know and be able to uh, to turn the tables quite quickly but at the same time with side control it feels like okay you've got way more places you can transmission you know apart from just the back um uh so i find that yeah um I say just the back, like the back's not great, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just, just just the back, you know, just yeah. the point where there's no limbs to protect yourself. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that's the thing. I, I again, like, I, but I don't know why. I think I think also because the back is something that you hunt like automatically. It's something that everyone hunts right. automatically, so it's almost like one of those ones that right. doesn't it doesn't have as much interest for me. <laughs> like just because it's just a well, obviously you go for the back, but but let's not do that because that's just not as fun. Let's go for this instead. <laughs> Well, no, I, I completely get what you're, you know, what you're saying there about the sort of you know additional sort of appeal of side control in the sense of it being over mount anyway. In the sense of yeah, you you can get off balance quite easily with a you know someone who knows how to move their hips right. At least side control, you're sitting off. You you know you've got a few more adaptations you can make, a few more variations of things that you can go to. I, I completely agree with you on that analysis there, sir. I'm also fascinated by the some of the strength training that you do because some of that stuff is absolutely brilliant. Um, some of the you know some of the drills that I've seen on your Instagram and things like that. Um, you know, obviously you you you, well, you seem to be a big fan of some of the Dan, Daniel Strauss. Um, yeah, one hundred percent doing as well because yep. I say all of that stuff is is fantastic to me. If there was one exercise that you could tell someone they would really, really benefit from, whether it be for arm bars or just their grappling in general, in terms of improving their, their strength and their kind of power there, what do you, you know, any ideas on what you might suggest for them? Is there anything that really springs to mind? Or Yeah. I mean, really, what I've noticed is the thing that's meant a lot, uh, or that's helped me a lot, uh, a shoulder mobility um, exercises. Okay. So... Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why um, ancient, well, I say ancient, uh, ancient Indian wrestlers and um, uh, and and loads of other wrestlers have used, um, you know, uh, clubs, for instance, and maces and things like that. It's because it really does help with a number of different um, a number of different uh, areas. But yeah, so so I mean, the exercise themselves. I mean, I would say it's the the equipment. Um, is something which, because you know, if you, the equipment that I would I would use would be different than just a simple exercise. Um, that doesn't make sense. Let me rephrase that. Um, like, so for instance, like if I use the Indian clubs, like I would say, like maybe do um, 250 Indian club swings um, on each arm, for instance, It'll work your way up to that. Then then get to maybe 500 Indian club swings on an arm, just right. because doing that it, it sounds random, but it's people like you know like the great Gamma and all these really like great um, wrestlers from um, 
from back in the day they used to use indian clubs it's just because it really does work your back your shoulder it doesn't just work people just people say it's just as a, a prehab thing and it's just good for you know making sure you you've got shoulder mobility but really i mean um since using the Indian clubs, since using the steel mace, since using the Bulgarian bag, that's a newer invention, but that's um, still, you know, it still involves a lot of, you know, spinning things around your head, spinning something heavy. It's right. 12 kilos, the one that I've got. So you're spinning 12 kilos around your head repeatedly. Um, but when you're, when you're using that, your body, uh, eventually it, it does start, it does start to change, um, you know, and you just feel that certain things, certain movements, uh, especially kind of wrestling style movements, they just feel a lot, a lot smoother it feels a lot more natural to have someone you know to literally be because you've already you're used to like lifting something above your head or you're used to right. you know doing this repeatedly and you, you're building up all that um all that muscle in those areas for then you know which then literally translate perfectly to uh um uh to, to wrestling or, or grappling so yeah i would definitely and it's it, that's the thing about it it's something which it's not really one exercise uh, as such but um but i would it's, say it's those, more a way of trade or a focus on how you're training your strength rather than a specific thing that you're doing in that sense exactly that i, I find that i mean the the other ones are i mean obviously great i mean i've got um like a thick grip circus dumbbell recently i got that which was which was right. great um but that's again you're not going to be able to lift that unless you've built up a decent amount of um of grip strength first it's sure. it is it's because it's quite you know the, the, the grip on it is quite wide um so that's going to be tricky um but as for something which anybody can pick up and use um then yeah though those three for me were, were a real lifesaver over lockdown because the indian clubs i mean they're like 1.2 kilos each you know they're not much you know, they don't weigh anything but because the weight's all concentrated at the end you know, you start you start swinging them. Uh, you you can find a you know a few different exercises online. Like there's loads of different ones, but you find one that really sticks and that you think you know that that you can you can do and you don't get bored of, um, and just do that. But just do it like like you would do reps of uh, you know of weights, but mm. instead of doing you know like ten or twenty or whatever, um, you do you know a few hundred on each right. arm. And that's the uh, that's the kind of the thing, and you really do feel the burn afterwards, obviously in your shoulders. But then, it just it, it's just incredible, like how much uh, you know how much it really does help um, to improve not just your uh, your mobility, but even your flexibility slightly. I mean, my my shoulders are fantastic right. now. They used to have so many issues, but they've been excellent ever since starting that. Um, so it does, it's not just like building the mobility, but like I said, it's like the strength, the overall like core as well. Right. Um, especially with um obviously the mace because mace is considerably heavier and things like that are a, a lot um a lot more um you know intensive on the body but they're um yeah just swinging things around my head basically swinging things <laughs> swinging things around my head lifting things up <laughs> <laughs> well it's really good to hear you say that it's really benefited your shoulders because i must admit as i'm getting a little bit older my shoulders are getting uh a lot more clunky, shall we say. So maybe that's something that I should take away from this and uh, order myself an Indian mace or, or, or something. And, well, what um, I'd recommend... Club rather and um, you know, get, yeah. get some of that going because, uh, yeah, I'd need some help there for sure. <laughs> well, the Indian Indian clubs, definitely. I'd recommend them because, um, like I said, you, you know, you can pick some of those up for however much, um, but they will, you know... Just don't don't treat them as something which you just... Most people use them as, a, oh, okay, I'll... I'll spin this for like maybe 20 or 30 right side and then left move side on, kind of and then move on to the weight work. yeah but the thing is that's like how like 
how wrestlers used to do it was they used to literally go, okay, I'm going to do a thousand swings of this, you know, or I'm going to do this. Right. So, so like really, if, if you're going to train with these kind of um, this type of equipment, like you have to, uh, in my opinion, this isn't obviously, this is just how I've, this is my method. Obviously everyone's welcome to their own, you know, to develop their own method sure. of, of doing, of training. But how I've realized is that, um just just through trial and error is that really like if you if you want to do if you want to train like ancient wrestlers like people used to train back in the old in the in the golden age of strongmen and stuff like that if you want to train um in that kind of way you really have to go into it like you have to do um you know you, you can't just have it as part of a of you a, can't of just a dabble, you have to put the time into it right exactly so, well i mean like and it's annoying i mean like you know swinging a uh, swinging a club around your head like 500 swings of one club around your head and then another 500 swings on the other arm it takes time and it's it's boring you listen to music and you're just swinging this thing you know and you're just repeatedly doing this swing but um but eventually it's something which um uh you know you definitely feel benefits for i'll mm. tell you what someone's knocking on my door and um they're not stopping knocking for some reason oh. but... i don't know who it is oh. never mind well i mean <laughs> that sounds that sounds like a cue to end things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I'm, obviously i'm conscious for time for you anyway tim um thank you so much for joining it it's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you um I, I, I could go on for hours and i'm sure you could as well so we'll we'll get a, a chat together and we'll organize something in the in the future for for a follow-up follow-up or something so if you would be so good as to join us again um as is always the case i'm going to leave the last word to you but thank you so much for being on it's been an absolute pleasure tim oh thank you ever so much for inviting me it's been uh, it's been great And that's all from us for now at the Cauliflower Chronicles podcast.